Sabta, Head of Indonesia Coverage at Rand Intelligence. Today, we have the founder of Aviation Analytics and Economics Advisory Firm, Endow Analytics, Shukur Yusuf, and our legal analyst, Omika Tripathi. We're going to discuss two Indonesian airlines, Garuda Indonesia and privately owned Lion Air. Shukur, maybe we can start the ball rolling with what you think are the key differences between Garuda and Lion Air. Uh, so the difference largely is one is state-owned with a very, very long history. Garuda started just after Indonesia's um, independence in '45, whereas uh, Lion Air started only about 21, 22 years ago uh, by two brothers who were formerly salesmen um, selling typewriters. Uh, so that that is uh, the, the the main difference. The other difference, perhaps, is that uh, the one that is privately owned, even though it's younger and less mature, so to speak, has been able to uh, exceed in terms of profit, in terms of capability, the national airline in a very short period of time. And that is very interesting and very um, also uh, key in trying to understand uh, the the methods and the prospects of the two carriers as they both embark in some form of restructuring uh, post-COVID. Shakur, you mentioned that you know Lion Air is younger, set up by two brothers who sold typewriters, right? Who had no experience with airlines at the beginning. But for some reason, Lion Air was able to exceed a national airline, like Lion Air could exceed Garuda. What, what in your opinion, was the secret sauce, you know? Um, where did Lion Air succeed and um, how did it pull ahead of uh, Garuda? I think that the, the, there is no, well, it's an open secret for many airlines in the world and Lion is just one of them especially privately run airlines like uh, AirAsia, like EasyJet, like Ryanair in Europe, Southwest being the important. So one, it was, it still is a, a predominantly a low cost carrier and low cost, the low cost model in this industry is typically one that brings about the most um, returns for shareholders uh, in, in the business. Uh, what, because it is very tightly run, it is agile, it is nimble, and it is able to maneuver itself uh, quickly in, in times of crisis. And it doesn't carry any legacy issues like uh, most, if not all, uh, flag carriers do. Can you talk a bit about how... Uh their different natures, their different, the different ways that their businesses run. How did that flow into their restructuring? First of all, with Garuda, I think uh, the restructuring did not come as a surprise. It wasn't due to COVID that Garuda is in trouble as it is today. Uh, COVID merely exacerbated the perilous condition that the airline was in even before that. Uh, and this was largely due to mismanagement. This was largely to the largesse the airline had faced, uh, corruption, as we have seen, being widely reported 
in the media. It was also due to the fact that many national airlines face uh, interference from the governments that run them in terms of uh, telling them where to fly, uh, where to, which destination they should go to in terms of uh, intervening in the uh, process of change in, at management level, for example. So it's dictated by politicians. And we all know that when politicians interfere in business, the outcome is usually bad. Um, so that's my view, uh, personal view of that. Uh, whereas if you look at Lion Air, on the other hand, it is uh, tightly run by uh, brothers who knew next to nothing about the airline business. And perhaps that's that's an advantage because they, they didn't carry any baggages, any legacy issues with them. They came with a blank sheet of paper and they moved on from that. And they were just very um, instinctive about the marketplace. And that, that I think is, is is the uh, advantage that they had and still have today. They understood perfectly. They were not airline people and you don't need to be an airline person per se in terms of making a carrier successful. You just need to understand what your customers want. You need to understand where the market is going. You need to understand relationship with your suppliers, with your um, the people who maintain your your tools, your aircraft, for example. And this they have done extremely well. Uh, they grew from having a few aircraft into one of the largest in the world. And also they started having their own maintenance um, facility in, in Batam, uh, which completely outgrew in terms of size, uh, GMF, uh, that the, which is owned by Garuda. And so that that is testament to the the success that they have registered in the last two decades. Uh, so it helped because it was when you're not listed, when you're privately run, you can do a lot of things quickly. There are very there are fewer um, obstacles to to overcome because you make the decisions and you act on it. Whereas for Garuda, you have to go through layers. You have to get approval from. Uh, various ministry, especially when you're asking for funds from Ministry of Finance, for example. Rusdi has been the face and the person who's led the company from day one. And Rusdi is has been widely acknowledged by both lessors, by aircraft financiers and by uh, OEMs as someone who is very crafty, who is very shrewd, who uh knows how to close a deal um and that those are the traits that he wields in terms of when he goes to the table and negotiate for aircraft leases or negotiate to buy or you know um or to finalize uh the products or the destinations that lion air will fly to and so despite not having the background in the industry, uh, what he has in large volume, I think, uh, is guts, just guts and 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 uh, in, in 
an instincts that uh, have led him to understand intimately how the aviation business works. And that's why I think, you know, he is unique in the sense that uh, one in this industry, you can have all the qualifications and all the credentials, but those are not necessarily um, the uh, items that you need, you, you can help you become very successful. I think the people relationship is important and also the ability to to, to uh, spot opportunities in the marketplace. So if we were to talk about uh, Garuda's current restructuring, they're proposing 19 cents recovery uh, to creditors, including lessors. Um, how do you think this offer stands, uh, Shukor, especially when compared to the other um, airline restru- uh, restructurings that we've seen? Well, on, on the face of it, 19 cents is can be seen as quite generous if you compare it to what AirAsia had initially offered uh, creditors and losses, which was something like five Malaysian cent to every dollar that was owed. Um, so 19 cents, uh, I, I suppose you take that into account, is quite generous. But uh, all things being equal, it is uh, not a very um, polite way of going about your restructuring. I say impolite because it it, it sort of insults um, your lessors and, and your other creditors by offering them such a, a pitiful amount of money. If indeed you are hoping to restructure, even if indeed you want to um, have a stronger relationship and you want to have your lessors having faith in your ability to successfully mount or salvage your operations again. Shukor, when you mentioned just now that 19 cents was um, insulting to creditors, um, I think the company's perspective is that they recognize the present value of the debt. So even banks take the present value of their loans when they file claims. Um, I think there is something special about leases where it's pretty standard to have a clause in the lease agreements that allows lessors to file claims, uh, essentially related to the future rights uh, to use the assets. And in some cases, the leases can be really long, like 20, uh, 30 years even. Indeed, Um, indeed. Yeah. At this point, maybe if I can turn to Omika, um, can you talk about the legal considerations of uh, future liabilities, Omika? Yes, thanks, Evelyn. Um, as we know, there there is a stark difference in the amount of claims uh, that the lessors have submitted and the debt that was reported by Garuda. But in order to completely understand this issue, I think, as you mentioned, it's first important to understand that most of these leases contain a clause which provides that in case of a payment default by the lessee, the lessor can claim future unpaid rent for the remaining lease term. Now, these are the future payments which have been claimed by the lessors in Garuda's PKPU. While there does not seem to be a direct precedent on this issue in Indonesia, the administrators may view the claims for these future payment obligations or termination payments as damages, which arguably cannot be claimed as part of the PKPU claim. So we'll have to wait and see the position that the Garuda administrators finally take on this. But it is possible and likely that they will only allow the pre-PKPU portion of their claim and reject future liabilities on grounds of it being in the nature of damages for a breach of contract. 
I think uh, to, to put it simply, when let's uh, a leasing company go into uh, a transaction with uh, an airline, uh, the, the main thing is that they agree on not just the um, the rental amount that the airline would have to pay a year, they would agree also on the tenor, uh, the the period that they would want to have the airline rented out to the airline. Uh, with the customer, for example, uh, but also the uh, one very um, important factor that we've seen during COVID is that there is no force majeure in any airline leasing contract at all. I mean, I I, I have not heard of any uh, inclusion of force majeure ever before. Um, so that's very important because that is that cuts into the heart of the dispute between. Uh, not just Garuda, but uh, several other Indonesian carriers with their lessor. Now, when we look at the futures claim, I think you would have to take into account also the amount of money that uh, an, a leasing company typically receives when they, they start a contract with the airline, who typically would have to pay for maintenance reserve. Now, this is something, uh, a fixed deposit on top of the agreed amount that to be paid monthly, so this you cannot touch until at the end of of the um, of the contract because this is used for uh, during uh, emergencies, for example, where you know you need that amount of money if, if something uh, goes wrong with the contract, for example. Uh, and then you also are required as part of the contract if you're an airline to uh, to, to, to pay a certain deposit, uh, sometimes up to six months uh, when, when you sign the contract. So future claims that if you're typically an airline would go into a, a transaction for a lease period of say, for a narrow body aircraft of about 10 years, 10 to 12 years. Now, this would be expected over a certain uh, period of time before it approaches the half year mark also. The, the, the half mark of the agreed um, maturity, where the airline would have to uh, sufficiently give undertaking and and you know show that they are able not just to, to pay their rentals but also to able to maintain the aircraft sufficiently in accordance with what has been uh, agreed upon in the contract. So the disagreement largely happens uh, in this case in Indonesia amongst many. Indonesian airlines is that they were unable to to pay the monthly rentals uh, from the onset of COVID in February or, or March of 2020. And so the, the debts have piled up. And I think some of the concerns that the leasing companies have, have suggested um, to me privately is that uh, the Indonesian airlines, and it includes Garuda, uh, to some extent included uh, Lion Air as well, and, and several other private ones, is that the inability or rather the, the reluctance among Indonesian owners not to want to get into some sort of discussion or, or an agreement to make some form of payment uh, in order to satisfy the leasing companies that uh, the airline uh, it remains agreeable to continue the contract. So that left many leasing companies in the lurch and, and they were unable to proceed uh, uh, amicably 
in terms of resolving the differences that they had with, with their customers in Indonesia. Garuda has negative equity of four uh, to five billion. The question is whether uh, the government can fill this hole. I mean, that is the billion dollar question, whether the government will bail out Garuda or not. And if they cannot fill that hole, um, is there a possibility of bringing in any strategic investors? Without government uh, injection of funds or in, uh, commitment to, to rescue Garuda, I think uh, all bets are off the table because the, the amount of money is, as you've said, negative equity of between uh, five to four to five billion is is not something to uh, to take uh, you know lightly. So they will have to look at this in the sense of you know the restructuring being whether you need to infuse equity uh, in 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 return for some of the stake. Uh, sorry, some of the money that you are going to inject into the company. And certainly, I, I don't quite see, first of all, that the Indonesian government would be willing to throw 500 million in cash, US dollars, to the airline. So I suspect this would come in the form of them taking uh, some other uh, stake or increasing their stake, so to speak, and, and, and also um, restructuring their... Um, ownership of the airline, perhaps with after speaking to Pak Kairu, because as I mentioned earlier, he is a thirty percent, almost a third uh, owner of the airline, so he wields considerable influence in any restructuring. Um, so whether or not the government is able to find a way with him, how to satisfy the investments, the amount of money that he's put into Garuda, and subsequently lost. Now that is a big question. I think there's always this push and pull between um, nationalistic considerations and also the more uh, commercial pragmatism. Um, Shukor, is there a middle ground where you can uh, balance those two um, considerations? Uh, what is the cost of preserving a flag airline, for example? My personal view is that flag carriers today, in today's world, in 2022, uh, no longer represent uh, the way of the industry. And I, I think what I mean from that is that there's no reason for a country to have a national airline. If it cannot maintain, if it cannot ensure there is profitability from that flight carrier. And this has been a, a running debate for many, many years, and many countries decide to continue to bail out national airlines or decide to inject more money, uh, even knowing that this money will never be recovered. And it's not just Indonesia, but many other countries in Southeast Asia and indeed in, in other parts of the world. So the question that we need to ask is whether the vast amount of money that's being lost by flag carriers, not just Garuda, but elsewhere, uh, uh, does it make sense or do are we not doing justice to taxpayers because we are ultimately using taxpayers' money to, to bail out airlines. So I don't see a middle ground. It's either you are able to turn around and uh, a national airline completely comprehensively, and let's say, uh, I think the problem is this. I think when, when airlines give uh, a certain amount of money as a part of a bailout, there is nobody accountable as part of management to say, look, if in three years, we are unable to turn it around. 
then who takes responsibility? Is it the CEO of that airline? Is it the entire management? And I've not seen that in, in many, many airlines, in any airline, in fact. So when you have a group of management that's been given vast amounts, huge amounts of money, and supposedly turn around, they are they do not have the responsibility in say three to five years to say that look, we've screwed up and you know I'll 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 pay up some of this money or, or something like that. So there there is no pressure. Uh, there's no risk to that. So, I mean, I think uh, anybody in that position would be so lucky because you have this at your disposal, huge amounts of money to be spent. And if you don't make it, if you lose money, then that's tough because you can get on with your life, but then the problems are now back in the hands of the SOE, the, the, the government. So in order to ensure that Flag carriers are properly managed. I think if you seriously want to have a flag carrier, it can be done, but you have to make somebody accountable for it. So whoever dishes out the money, for example, has to be made accountable if the airline do not meet its goals within a specific period of time. Otherwise, it's just going around. It's a vicious cycle. Maybe we can turn now to Ormika um, to talk about the legal aspects of uh, Garuda's restructuring. Uh, Garuda is undergoing a local in-court restructuring uh, called PKPU. Now, Ulmika, can you talk about how creditors will likely be treated in this PKPU? So let's talk about the lessor. So now in any aircraft lease, be it an operational lease where the lessor simply leases the aircraft to the airlines in return for periodic rent payments or a financial lease where the lessee makes payments throughout the term of the lease and ultimately gets ownership of the aircraft at the end of the term once the final installment is paid. Uh, the title or ownership of the craft in both of these types of leases remains with the lessor during the lease term. Therefore, in the absence of any other collateral, these leases are likely to be classified as unsecured debt in the PKPU. This may put them in the same bucket as the Sukuk holders, depending on how the Sukuk has been structured and whether they have direct recourse to the underlying asset or not. Now, uh, clubbing of these two creditors together may affect how the voting on the PKPU plan plays out. But ultimately, I think the larger issue of how the future liabilities uh, that have been claimed by the lessors are treated in the PKPU and how Garuda ultimately negotiates with the lessors will be key issues that determine how the PKPU uh, plan, uh, plays out. The gorilla in the room, though, are the lessors because they account for such uh, a huge portion of the total claims. Uh, they just simply cannot be ignored. And majority of these leases are governed by English law. How will this impact Garuda's restructuring in your view, Omika? This is actually, I think, legally the most interesting aspect of this restructuring. So importantly, lessors with English law governed leases may take action in the United Kingdom, even if they are unhappy with the PKPU plan. Now, this is because of an English law principle, which is known as the Gibbs rule. In effect, the Gibbs rule provides that an English law governed debt can only be compromised or discharged in accordance with English law. What this means is that even after the PKPU plan is passed in Indonesia, lessors who are unhappy with the PKPU process can initiate legal action against Garuda in the UK. This is why Garuda would need to do a UK scheme of arrangement to bind lessors to the deal. 
A UK scheme of arrangement is simply a statutory court-approved procedure provided under UK's Companies Act that allows a company to enter into an arrangement with its shareholders or creditors to restructure its obligations. Now, ideally, Garuda should try and make the effectiveness of the UK scheme and the PKPU interdependent, meaning that one takes effect only once the other takes effect. One reason for this is that in order for the scheme to be sanctioned by an English court, the court would need to be convinced that the scheme will be recognized and given effect in the home jurisdiction being Indonesia. All-round support from the lessors for the scheme can also be used to show the court that the scheme will finally take effect and that it's not engaging in a fruitless exercise of, of approving a scheme that is unlikely to be enforced in the home jurisdiction itself. It seems that the main stage of the restructuring is PKPU because um, Garuda will have to include the terms and conditions for um, the UK scheme if they actually go down that route uh, right now in the PKPU process. Uh, previously, Garuda wanted to enter UK scheme and then uh, PKPU, but it seems that the sequence has been altered. Um, do you think this is a high stakes process at the moment, uh, Omika? Do you think they'll be able to pull off the PKPU deal? Um, I mean, it's really hard to say, but I think I think the key detail is going to be how they finally negotiate with the lessors. Because even if they want to take action in the UK with the scheme, they probably will like to know that everyone's on board before they actually take that step. Because they're not going to wait down the line to see if they get the relevant approval from everyone or not. So I think right now is the is the key, you know, like the key stage of the restructuring where they need to, you know, come to some sort of an understanding with the lessors as to what's going to happen to them and what's going to happen to their future life. Liabilities, and only then can they, you know, go ahead with the with the PKPU plan or the or the UK scheme of arrangement in order to bind them. Got it. Thank you so much, Omika. Um, Shukor, Omika, thank you so much for um, attending the session. I hope that uh, our listeners will have learned from all of us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.